Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. Tonight on the show, we're going to be talking all about mentoring, how we can work together to help each other grow stronger in the classroom. We have several great guests tonight. Before we get to them, I want to share with you guys there's several amazing ways that you can reach out and be a part of this and all of the shows in the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. Of course, we love it when you find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voicemail over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail, email us at feedback at teachercast.net and of course subscribe to this and all of our shows over at teachercast.net slash iTunes and teachercast.net slash YouTube. And welcome back today. My name is Jeff Bradbury. We are broadcasting live as we are every single Tuesday on YouTube, on teachercast.tv, on Periscope, on Facebook. We hope you take some time this school year to check us out. We are the Tech Educator Podcast. I want to bring on my co-host Sam Patterson. Sam, how are you tonight? How are things out in California? Things are are warm out in California, but I'm great. That is absolutely fantastic. Things here are certainly heating up. Well, we are starting our school year next week, but you guys have already started your school year, and I bet that with new teachers and new students comes new opportunities to collaborate. You're doing some pretty interesting collaborations right now on a book that you've written. An Apple yeah. book that you're writing. Oh, the Apple book. The Apple yes, book. yes. Yes, actually, that's, you know, the Apple book, if your school is an Apple Distinguished School or wants to be an Apple Distinguished School, you too will get the opportunity to create an Apple book all about your school and the amazing stuff you do, and you get to collaborate about collaboration. It's so meta. Very, very cool. We are talking all about mentoring today. We are talking all about great books. My first guest today is the author of a brand new book coming out, available soon, I believe. I want to bring on The Weird Teacher, or if you spell it wrong, The Wired Teacher, Mr. Doug Robertson. How are you tonight, Doug? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Doug, you know, as technology grows and my screen has more and more high definition, I have to get you on this show more. Welcome to the show. Talk to us a little bit about yourself, man. Uh, so I'm Doug Robertson. I'm the weird teacher. Uh, I was named that by two kindergartners in Hawaii and I didn't come up with it myself. I'm not Rocky Balboa at my dinner table. Uh, I teach fifth grade currently in Oregon, just outside of Portland. Very, very cool. Four books so far. Um, three teaching, two teaching books, three teaching books and a fiction novel. That is really cool. How did you get into writing these books? Uh, cause apparently they'll let anybody write a book. You don't have to like. That is, that, that is so not true. <laughs> totally true. So totally true. that is so if not true. Publish, they'll let anybody write. Oh, that, so that's um. You keep telling. I me had that. a student teacher in Hawaii. I had two student teachers in Hawaii, and um, it's kind of a scary thing when you have a student teacher because, at least for me, it was a lot of I don't know if what I'm doing actually works, or if it just works for me, or if this is real. So having a student teacher and having it work for her too, and then for my next student teacher was like, oh my God, what I'm actually saying makes sense. Uh, and that's kind of what motivated me to write the first book. He's the weird teacher available on Amazon, wherever books are sold, except for actual bookstores. And we will, of course, have links to that in all of our show notes. Talking about uh, mentors and such, uh, somebody who's been a mentor to me on this show as we go through our technology coaching career. Josh, how are you today? Josh is here doing well, getting ready for our kickoff in service tomorrow. And we have students coming on uh, Tuesday of next week. That is amazing. Uh, as you go through here, I'm sure a lot of teachers are looking towards you and saying, hey, how do I do this? Mentor me, work with me on technology. 
I am so looking forward to this. And and Josh, you know, you and I have worked together as as new tech coach and current tech coach here. And we're going to look into talking today a little bit about not only mentoring as two people in the same room or same school, but we're going to be talking a lot today about mentoring across different states. And our next guest today is going to be working with us here on the Tech Educator Podcast as a mentor across the continent, the northern part of our continent. I want to bring on Jen Giffen. Jen, how are you today? Welcome to the Tech Educator Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. It's a little chilly here now in the evenings in Canada, so it's nice to be indoors with a sweatshirt on. I think we're just in the low 70s, maybe, now, maybe even the high 60s. Now, where in Canada are you, eh? Um, I'm uh, just north of uh, Toronto, eh? That is pretty cool, eh? And <laughs> and talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you're doing. You and I um, recently got, uh, let's see, engaged isn't the word, connected to each other through the Google uh, Innovator Program. And right. I am looking forward to this. As, as you guys know, the Google Innovator Program is an amazing experience and opportunity. One of the things that they ask you to do as a Google uh, for Education Innovator is to create a project, a year-round project, and then they partner you up with current innovators. Um, Jen, talk to us a little bit about your experiences so far as a Google Innovator and tell us a little bit about the projects that you either have been working on or that you're going to be working on. Right. Okay. So um, I was in the cohort for Washington, D.C., so WDC 17. We just finished. We were there from the 2nd to the 4th of August, so we're a newly minted innovator. Um, my project that I went in with and that I'm still sort of pivoting on, I'm not totally sure where I'm going to land, uh, was called the On-Air Share or ML, Modern Learning On-Air, which is an iteration of something that we did lower scale in our district this year. And essentially it was about um, reaching authentic audiences for students. So rather than just, hey, here I've done this and I'm going to hand it into a teacher. And as Rushton Hurley says, you know, it's good enough. Let's give them an authentic audience so it's actually good. Um, we, we looked at having classes um, showcase over a full day sort of a la Google EDU on air. Uh, we had them showcase different sort of things that they've been doing in their schools. And what I realized at the end of it was this was good, but it could be so much better because rather than just having passive audience, I want to want active audience. I want to do this a few times during the year. I want to get people in other districts in our, in our province doing this so that we can really learn from one another and students can show really what's important. And that's the process, not just the final product. And it's important that we have that student voice, not just teachers showcasing what you know, certain students in their classroom have done. So it's still a work in progress. I still uh, every now and then have little epiphanies of, oh, I want to go here now. But it's uh, it's a good, I think it's noble to have students do things for something that's more real rather than just, hey, I've written this paper and I'm going to hand it into a singular teacher audience because then it becomes playing the game of school. And I hate playing the game of school. I, I love the concept of playing the game of school. And, and so often it, mm -hmm. it does turn into the here is my role, here is what I should do. But I also love the idea of looking at this as authentic. So we have a great panel today. Of course, if you're out there watching like you are on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, check us out over on TeacherCast.tv. Ask any questions. Uh, we've got a good panel showing up over there today. Um, Doug, I want to get started with you guys. Can, I, when I was putting together this show with Jen in mind, thinking mentor, mentee, and all the different things that we're going to work on as part of the Google program, I'll be honest, the, the term student teacher never came to mind. I wasn't even thinking about that. But that is really where a lot of our educators get that first uh, mentorship. Talk to us a little bit about being a, a mentor to a pre-service teacher. What, what is it like? How do you prepare? What, what are some of the struggles that you've faced? And uh, 
Yeah, we'll just kind of start there, Doug. Oh, how much time do we have? Uh, we have 45 um, more minutes. <laughs> um, so I, I became a student, uh, a student teacher, a mentor teacher back in Hawaii. Uh, I did that for two years and then took a couple of years off because I was moving around. I was at a bunch of different schools and then I had the opportunity to do it again last year. And being a mentor teacher, having a student teacher is by far the most valuable thing I've ever done in teaching as far as making me a better teacher because it it forced me to be more reflective it forced me to have to look at another person and explain literally every choice that i make like why is that up there that's a really good question why is that up there and i have to justify that and if i can't that's a problem um as far as i'm concerned uh the and you're right it is a it's a mentor position that's like literally what it's called as far as I'm concerned, this is the most important place to strengthen teaching. If we want to create good teachers who can hit the ground running, we need teachers being mentor teachers. And it's really hard to convince people to do that because there are so many things in the way. I don't want to be a mentor teacher because it's a big time sink. Absolutely. It does take a lot of time. Uh, but at the end of the day, you are creating someone who is ready to go into their own classroom. It is totally worth that extra time. Um, I don't want to be a mentor teacher. This is the one that drives me crazy. Uh, I don't want to be a mentor teacher because I don't have anything to offer uh, a student teacher. I'm not doing anything special. And that's like, what do you mean you're not doing anything? No, you are. And I think part of that is teachers have a tendency to be a little bit too modest. Um, we kind of try to downplay the things that we do plus most of us are living with imposter syndrome really hard and we're waiting for an administrator to walk in the door and be like i know you don't know what you're doing uh so having a, a student teacher in your class like shines a bright light on that but more than that everybody is doing something interesting and if you are telling a student teacher that you don't have anything to share then you are forgetting that the main word in student teacher is student. And that means that you as a teacher are telling a student, you don't have anything to share. And that is a terrible attitude to have. Um, well, well it's then, certainly not the kind of attitude that's going <clears> to <throat> let you survive in the job. I mean, you know what, what I'm going to, I'm going to connect a couple dots here, Doug, and you can tell me if I get out of line. Uh, cause, cause I plan to, um, so you were first called the weird teacher by kindergartners in Hawaii. Yes. You first became a mentor teacher in Hawaii. The process of becoming a mentor teacher was really the first time that you had to look at another person and explain all of your decisions. Is it possible your school in Hawaii gave you a student teacher because they could come up with no other way to figure out what you were doing and why? I mean, <laughs> you think round was round one just an informant? <laughs> uh, I don't think so, but that's a good question. Well, let's take um, a look at this, right? I mean, because when Doug's talking student teachers, clearly this is a situation where you are set up in a position where you are guiding somebody else that person knows that you are in that guiding situation. Sam, you might have recently been in a position where you're working with other people and whether you know it or not or whether they know it or not, there is a mentorship coming up because perhaps 
you knew where a direction was going and somebody else might not have. Um, okay. Is it easy to be a mentor if the other person doesn't realize you're trying to mentor them? Oh, certainly not. I mean, you know, with all of these things, communication relationships, right? Like, you know, having a clear understanding of what the roles are, you know, the mentor relationship need, really needs to be kind of free of um, evaluation. You know, it's not it, it's not an evaluative situation. So if the other person doesn't know you're mentoring them, then it isn't really a mentorship. You're just helping them without telling them, which is weird. So, um, yeah. So, and so like, just, it, it, sorry. So, just to jump on top of that, Sam used a very important word. He said the mentor relationship. And if they don't know they're being mentored, then that is not a relationship. And that's how we really need to be thinking about this thing mm -hmm. is it is a relationship. It's a conversation. It's it's a connection. It's more than just I'm telling you what to do and how to be better. Well, let, let's let's take a look at this from 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 Josh and I's point of view here. And, and you know. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. As a technology coach, is it our job to mentor our teachers? Is it our job to help out our teachers? I mean, I'm not going to walk into your classroom and say, Doug, I'm here to mentor you on Google Slides. But by asking questions of your technology coach, you are in a position where you're looking for guidance. Is this the same thing, Josh? Um, that's a big question. Uh I have had the pleasure of getting to have a lot of mentoring conversations with a guy by the name of Art Laflamme. Um, if you don't follow him or talk to him, um, he has a lot of great stuff to say about mentoring, and a lot of his background comes in the military. What's and, Art doing uh, right now? He's online. <laughs> yeah, he he would. Yeah, you can reach out to him. Uh, he uh, <laughs> he has a lot of good things to say, and one of the things that really stuck with me is that mentoring is for a very specific purpose. Uh, and, and both people should know what that is. I mean, the mentee is expecting to get something out of the mentoring relationship, and the mentor obviously is some kind of a, a specialist or expert um, in that area who can help grow that person. So, I mean, when you're talking about teacher, student, teacher, clearly it's the art of teaching. That's what the teacher knows how to do and is helping the student teacher do that. So, when it comes to technology, it's a little different um, because well, that is a domain that I obviously think is important. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do my job very well. I don't know that I'd use the term mentoring to describe what I do 99% of the time. Now, an exception to that might be this situation I have going on this year where I'm going to be in a classroom with a teacher and we're going to be co-teaching every day for a quarter in this class. So it's going to be our class. And... That what? to me is close, but I think it's a two. It's almost like we're like I'm mentoring a little bit, but she's mentoring a little bit because I'm hoping to pick up some ideas of math instruction and you know running what, the classroom. Because what was that? What are you co-teaching about? Algebra. Algebra. So Have you taught algebra before? Nope. Fun. I oh, like yeah. teaching algebra. I I enjoyed it a lot. I'm excited about it. I'm I'm really excited and and I think I'm going to learn a lot from her, learn a lot through the experience, but I also think, you know, I've had the luxury of uh, of more flexibility in my schedule to pursue learning and to see other teachers teach. So we have a really excellent 7th grade teacher who I've I had the opportunity to watch teach. Um, I've read a lot of good books on the subject of math instruction like mathematical mindsets. So 
I feel like I'm bringing then in these instructional practices that can help take that algebra class to the next level and make it that much more of a, of a great 21st century math class um, in terms of what we know now is good math instruction. Um, so like, I'm hoping that, that I can help her incorporate some of those things and really make that class include a lot of that. So it's almost like, I don't know if that's really a mentoring relationship because we're both trying to learn from each other. So, so it, it, I, I've done a lot of co-teaching over the past few years, and I would say it's different than mentoring. Right? Yeah, I would, I would agree. So um, one mentoring relationship we haven't talked about was one that I was actually in around math instruction. And I just thought of it when you mentioned algebra. I started teaching algebra for a private school and I didn't have a math degree. I, you know, I had a poetry degree and an English degree and a rhetoric degree. And, and they're like, you can't teach math. I'm like, oh, I can, I can math all the live long day. You, there's all kinds of counting in those syllables. You don't even know. <laughs> and they're like, no, not selling it. So I agreed to take essentially the class I was teaching at a community college at the same time. And I was lucky enough that it was taught by a high school math teacher at one of the larger, well-established public high schools. And I threw myself at him. <laughs> I stayed after class the first day and I'm like, please help me do this job. And he was so absolutely kind with his time and all kinds of ideas. And like it got to the point where I was bringing the notes in from class, what I did, what didn't work, what they didn't understand. And he was giving me, you know, how to do it next time to make it better. And I was going in the next day and teaching it. Um, it was, you know, amazingly kind of him to, you know, be able to just, you know, say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm only getting paid next to nothing to teach this community college class. Why not make the night take longer? You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a cool story. Um, and I think what you get at is another thing that really stuck out to me about the mentoring relationship and it's something that I think it can be something like you're assigned, like when you're a new teacher in a district, you get like a mentor, it's assigned to you. But I think the most powerful mentoring relationships are where you seek somebody out. So when I talk about the seventh grade teacher, you know, I seek her out and I will probably seek her out a ton during this for first quarter as a person to reflect off of, as a person who I respect um, her um, reflection, her her craft. And um, not that I don't want the teacher I'm teaching with, but um, I want to kind of try and take a lot of the things the seventh grade teacher did and incorporate those. So I would consider that a mentoring relationship, but I don't know that we've labeled it that way. Do we have to label it that way? I don't know. I was just going to ask that same thing. Like, do we need to have the labels? Like a lot of what I've heard you guys talk about is you know this idea of, of co-teaching and co-learning as as teachers themselves seeking out people organically people are being assigned we have a program in our district as well where you're you're matched up with someone and is that the right fit but are, are the labels necessary and does it need to have a lot of specific structure in order to be successful i know i've had probably probably close to 10 student teachers in the 17 years I've been teaching. And in, I, I think there's something to be said to give back. Um, some of them for us, it's, I have someone for a whole year. They've come in every week, once a week, and then they do a month long block at the end. 
And other times it's, you know, okay, they're, they're going to come in for three week extents and off they go. And I just wonder how much of it, when I think back to times that I've mentored and things that I, times that I've been mentored, how much structure is actually needed at times the structure was really great but i also find sometimes we give that structure and i find this in in pre-service programs so when the student teachers come to us we we tend to tech, tick boxes and so i was i was the coordinator at my school we had 1.12 student teachers from one particular university in the area and these students we got the same thing that doug was saying right oh i have nothing to offer oh i don't have time oh i don't want to they're all these excuses and then when they got there like okay well I, I didn't see this and I didn't see that and I'm like at the end of the day I think what really matters in that context is would you want them teaching next to you next year and to me that always involved is this someone who has listened and and has provided voice for what like our partnership happens to be so I don't necessarily know when when I've worked with people and we've had all these tick boxes, I don't know if I'm being clear, like, okay, have they done this? Have they done this? I don't necessarily think that makes a program great. I think it's like it's been mentioned, this whole idea of this organic relationship and seeking out what we need, because sometimes what we need isn't going to be in those boxes. Doug, you're shaking your head vigorously in agreement here. I, I vigorously agree with what she's saying. Um, especially the box checking teaching, especially in a public school is a lot of hoop jumping. Uh, there's there's things that you want to do, and then there are things that have fallen down upon you from the district or from the state or from the federal government that you have to go through. And being a mentor teacher to a student teacher is the same thing. There are certain requirements that the university has that the student teacher has to do. And so it's our job as mentor teachers to be receptive to that, but this is the way I do things is the, the university says, this is what our student teachers have to do. And I say, thank you. I'm going to do things my way and they will check these boxes. They will get all this stuff done, but they will also get all this other stuff done. Um, but what you said at the end, or maybe in the middle, I don't remember, uh, where would this person, would I want this person on my team next year? And that's my guiding principle for being a mentor teacher with a student teacher too. The most important job of a mentor teacher is to get a person ready to walk into their own classroom on the very first day of the next year, not frightened, like feeling prepared. It's not to say that they're not going to suck because everybody kind of sucks their first year. And there's not really a lot you can do about that, but to get them to suck as little as possible to have them make all of those mistakes that a first year teacher makes with a net in the room rather, or with Doug in the room, if your name's not a net, rather than <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> uh, rather than not let them teach too much and not be a real mentor, not have those conversations that as a mentor teacher, student teacher, you should have. I believe that we should be talking to our student teachers, honestly, every single day at the end of the day. Uh, this is what you did that I, I take notes because I'll forget. So this is all the stuff that you did that I liked. This is the stuff I, that you did that I think you should change. Uh, and it's an ongoing conversation with that. As far as like being a coacher, it would be much harder in my opinion to have a mentor like like Josh and Sam are talking about, or Josh and um, uh, Jeff are talking about, where you're assigned a mentor. That's that's a much more as a teacher. That's a that that that's a weirder position. Well, because the power dynamic is like in a student teacher mentor teacher, the power dynamic is off, and you have to do your best to not make it feel off. But in you guys' position, it's 
it's, it's different. So it would be harder to be given. But a mentor. It, but in in a student teacher position, you are still. Uh, for lack of a term, above them, you are still in a grading position, whereas with a tech well, coach and you're teacher, in different systems, right? Like right. They, they're a university student, and you're a district employee, right? But that's different than, let's say, two math teachers in the same grade. One might be a second-year teacher and is coming to you for help. You're you're equals, but you're looked at to mentor that that person as we go through here. Yeah, and I, I right. work in a very heavily unionized district, so that's a whole other dynamic as well. When we look at, are you looking for a mentor like in our NTIP program who's in the same um, you know federation as you are? I have that person to consider because then what am I doing? Am I being evaluative? Do I go and if I see something that's really problematic, I, I have to file an adverse report. I have to go to the union before I can really take it on to a vice principal or to a principal. Um, and same with, like, I'm, I'm in a coaching role as well in my district. And it's the same thing. I, I've walked in and I've, I've heard people talk about things and I'm like, that is completely against our assessment and evaluation policies in our province. So where do you go from there? So it's a little bit trickier in that sense, which is why I think when people seek out um, someone to mentor them, it makes it a little bit more um, simple to have those challenging or difficult conversations. Now, now Doug, Doug you, had, you had mentioned something earlier, Doug, and you had said the word coach. And, and you know, we've talked about tech coaches here. So let, let me kind of throw this question at the panel. All coaches are mentors. All mentors are coaches. Yes. No. If you are if you are set up to be a coach of somebody, even take a football coach, are you now you are that person's Doug? Go ahead. Uh, no, um, and maybe it's because I'm coming at this like from an athletic perspective. So you're but, an athletic supporter of this. Exactly. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it, the a mentor. A, okay. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this. 26 minutes. A, a coach a coach does not need to have a relationship. You do not need to have a relationship with somebody in order to coach them. It's helpful, but you do not need one. Um it it helps things it helps things move along, but like I don't have to be friends with my swim coach. In order you know, for- you know, Doug. I was going to talk about a swim coach. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of a particular swim coach, and I think anyone who has swam competitively understands that swim coaches never try to be liked. <laughs> they can't because they're going to have to tell you to do ten five hundreds, right? Like, like I need you to do that thing underwater until you puke again. <laughs> you know, that's you know, and the, that's their job. So I don't, I think that coaches can be mentors, but I don't think that that is their job. Their job is just to tell you what to do and make you better rather than a mentor is more of a back and forth conversation. You go to a mentor and you ask for help rather than you go to practice and are told what to do. If you look up the actual definition of the two words, coach talks about instruction and training, whereas mentor talks about experience and trusted advisor. And I think those are the two ideas, the idea of advisor versus the idea of trainer, because those are two very different words. 
So, See, so, when you brought this up again, Jeff, I thought he must not have been listening when Jen spoke earlier because I felt she was very clear. <laughs> and here she's come back around to being, again, very clear. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I don't have a, a, a follow-up for that. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, though, to bring in that that kind of dictionary definition that really kind of distills down what, what it's getting at. It, it is that that experience that, and I like the, I like that additional term advisor. There's not this this onus that this person needs to be responsible for training you. They're 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 more of somebody that you can trust without a doubt to go to with questions and things like that on a particular subject. Um, I I think that's much different than my role in coaching, where yeah, I get asked a lot either to, Hey, teach the kids about this thing or, Hey, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. That's, that's questions, but that's not like, like the really deep stuff that, that you would go to an advisor with. Like I'm not advising people in that situation. Whereas if there was you know a teacher who was always coming to me and we were having great discussions about lessons and was asking for feedback about how they could innovate a little more, then that starts to become a little bit more of a mentor relationship, I think. So definitely a big difference. And I think if you ask a lot of athletes, if we're going to continue that analogy, I bet almost all of them, if they mention they have a mentor, it's not somebody who is on their team currently. It might be a former coach that they've developed a relationship with over time, but I think the relationship is much more intimate with that mentor. It's not somebody that you kind of just pluck off the street and oh you're you know let's mentor it's like i think there's it's a serious genuine very tight relationship i i think there has to be otherwise how can you be an advisor i mean you're trusting this person to give you this this good advice on on something very important to you um, i think it has to be a very strong relationship well let, let's kind of is nobody's mentor <laughs> <laughs> Let's, he's a great coach, but he's nobody's mentor. Let's uh, let, let's take this this mentor mentee relationship from both ends here and figure out how to make it work the best. If you are in a mentee situation and you are the the younger or the less experienced, quite oftentimes you might have the I want to seek out my mentor for questions, but I don't want to bother him. Or maybe this is a silly question or wait, I just asked him yesterday. Do I ask him to Mike? How often, Doug, should a mentee reach out or ask questions? Or should it just be this revolving door of, look, you can come and see me anytime. Feel free to ask any questions. Like how often should your student teacher reach out or should your new tech coach reach out for questions? As often as is it's the, okay. So, just like the, I think about this a lot like the student-teacher relationship, um, not student-teacher, but students and teachers, mm -hmm. The that relationship where it is, the onus is on us to make ourselves safe and available to be asked. So the mentor, the mentee, the student-teacher in this case, let's say, um, needs to be explicitly told, my job is to help you. Anytime you have any questions, even if you feel like, even if the back of your head says, this is a dumb question, shut that thing down and ask me, Right. ask me again. It's totally cool. And if the mentor is very explicit and open and honest about that, that tells the mentee, 
you are there for me. And no matter what my questions are or how dumb I feel like my question is or reductive my question is, I, I talk to my student teachers about um, big rocks and small rocks. Big rocks are those big ideas that you need to take care of. Small rocks are those little hypothetical things that like students love to ask you when you start a project. Right. And they're like, what if X, Y, and Z? And you're like, we have, you haven't even started the project yet. Don't ask me questions about something that hasn't happened yet. And so I really want my student teachers coming to me with those kind of questions so I can help them. That's my job. I wouldn't have signed up to be a mentor or teacher if I didn't want them asking me questions all the time. And if it becomes a ridiculous thing, then eventually it's going to be like, you wrote notes. Check your notes. Right. But I've also seen mentors come in, you know, variety of flavors, but they're either the type that is constantly looking for those teachable moments like i will seek you out and we will sit down and we will talk about this or you see the mentors that are like hey ask me any question anytime and if you don't ask any questions i'm here and i'm only here if you need me where do you find that gray area because i mean there's people in my life where i'll only reach out to them if i have these major questions on a certain theme and I've got people who will routinely will sit down and will have a discussion about stuff. How do you find that gray area when you're starting a relationship as a student teacher, as a tech coach, as a, a Google innovator? As a Well, if they were student teachers, then there is no gray area that both of those things should be happening at the same time. It's my job to go to them and say, this is what I think you should be doing better. Um, my, I should be proactive with that. If it was a peer, like I have, I'm one of the more tech savvy teachers at my school. So if a teacher wants help with technology, then at the beginning of the year and periodically throughout the year, I'll like send out an all staff email, happy to help anybody with technology that you want, but that's it. And then I let them come to me because I don't want to be one of those people. It's like, do you need help? Do you need help? Do you need help? It's not, that's obnoxious. And then they don't want to talk to you at all. Now you're just going to, you're just going to well, get the book now. Because they, they think they, you think they're an idiot because you're always asking if they need help. Yeah. Josh, what do you think? Um, I would agree with you. And I try really hard to not be that person. I try, um, I think we're getting away from the mentoring thing. I think, you know, talking more about the coaching role or the, support role. Um, one of the big things I try and do is I try and generate as many poll opportunities as possible. So find different ways to, to get the word out. So when I talk back to this, this co-teaching situation I have going on, I want that to speak for itself. I don't want to be begging people to do this. Like this situation did not come because I was begging. It became because another school district was doing this. They were friends of mine. I talked about it. It sounded like it went really well. And I wanted to try it here. I had a teacher who was game, who uh, has the perfect situation of, of things with this particular class that makes it a great trial run. But then after this, I hope that other people can look and they can talk to that teacher and be like, well, how did that go? Was that a good situation? Do you feel like you got a lot out of that, uh, that type of thing? Um, and then kind of letting that go from there, because you're right. I, I think being present is good in my role, but being annoying is definitely something I don't want to be because for many people, um, yeah, that's, that's a big turnoff. And, and like you just mentioned about if it's constantly about, do you need help in that term? Do you need help with anything? 
you're already coming at it from a deficit model that they need you, help with something. I'm going to steal Josh. Uh, I'm going to steal the. I'm going to steal their job for a second. What if you see somebody who needs help but doesn't come to you as a coach? What do you do? Um, I think you look for the opportunity to to show them something, but in the most non-threatening way possible. Well, well, doesn't that determine the word coach, right? Like if you're a technology coach and you see a second grade teacher's not doing something right, that's a completely different question, Doug, than I am the football coach and I see the, that a 17-year-old linebacker isn't doing something right. What, what, what is your definition of coach when you ask that question? Uh, like your position. You're, you're the tech coach. Okay, school. so not, not in a sporting event where you are, as the coach, are in charge of everybody. But you're, right. You, I mean, okay. Got it. It's definitely much different than that other situation because I don't have the luxury of putting people off because then that that's definitely going to to keep put up this barrier between me and the person. Um, I don't think it's ever been an issue. A lot of times those types of things come to me through other people, and then I'll just casually stop by and say, "Hey, I heard about this," or you know, "How's this particular thing going?" I heard and, you set your overhead on fire. <laughs> For Let me most, show you how Google Slides works. For most people, it's a matter of if they see me out and they see me nearby, they may not come to me, but if I walk by them, they usually ask. Okay, so you know, now we've talked about a couple specific strategies, and I want to circle back to them. One was proximity. That's one you just mentioned, right? Like, Hanging out nearby, maybe they'll notice and they'll think I smell nice and they'll ask me for help. And another one is just finding an opportunity to show someone something. My favorite, if I know that someone needs my help with something like long term, my favorite in with them is to ask them for help with something. Me too. Because that helps the if if they need help with something I know how to do and I find out about it before they ask me. That means they're not asking me. So why aren't they asking me? I must not be approachable enough. So if I'm not approachable, I'm going to approach them about whatever I can find an opportunity to do. That isn't like, you know, hey, I noticed that four months ago on Facebook, you post that you'd like this book. So I read this book. Do you want to talk about it now? Because <laughs> that's coming on a little strong. But if you can be like, how does that die cut machine work anyway? You know, that can be your end. So, Doug, let's do a little bit of role playing here. Let's say that this year you have a student teacher and that student teacher and you sit down and you talk about the goals and objectives for that student teacher. And that student teacher says to you, I have an idea where I want to start teaching fifth grade, but I want to bring puppets into the classroom. Now, do you say, hey, that's a great idea. Let's run with it. Or do you say, no, that'll never get you anywhere. Doug and Doug only. I say Sam already does that. That, that box is filled. He's the teacher that does puppets. Nobody else can do it. Um, no, Nobody else can do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> um, I, I actually had that conversation with my student teacher. Today was the first day I had with my student teacher. So I literally just had that conversation today. And I told her that I want her to come to me with ideas. And I want her to come to me with half-baked ideas. Come to me with stuff that you don't know if it will work because we will find a way to make it work or I will let you plan it 
and execute it even if I know that it's not going to work because you are going to learn so much from trying this thing and having it catch fire in front of you while I'm in the room. Because if I'm in the room, then no matter how bad it goes, we can fix it. We can put it back together. And I would much rather you develop that kind of faith in yourself to try puppets or you're going to try a dance in your class or whatever now so that next year when you become your own teacher and you're off on your own, you already have that confidence built in that you can try weird ideas that you don't know if they'll work because you've done it here. So um, I, I would be like, do it. Come on, let's try it. What do you want to do? Yeah, and it, at, the, at the end of the day, when we're coaching or mentoring anyone, we're not making clones of ourselves. We're, we're empowering other people to find their true identity in our case as educators. Well, well, well wait a minute here. Now, I, 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 let's, let's talk about clones of ourselves. Sam, let's just say, for instance, that Dewey came to you and said, I'd like to have blue hair. What do you say to him? I would say, Dewey, if a man with triplets says, let's talk about making clones of ourselves and then tries to turn the conversation away from himself, you turn that right back around, son. That's what I'd say to him. <laughs> I walked into that one. I'm sorry, Jen. Keep going. No, that, that, well, that's all I was going to say. Like, I, I remember one of my probably best learning experiences as a student teacher myself is I have a mild form of dyslexia and I was, I, I'm qualified to teach secondary English and math. And I was teaching the Cartesian plane and I put all of my X coordinates on the Y axis and vice versa. And I went to try to draw my, my parabola. And I was like, this is not a parabola. And I crashed and burned. And at the end I turned to my teacher and I was so embarrassed, my mentor teacher. And she's like, great. How are we going to fix this tomorrow? Because you just taught the kids totally the wrong way. And now you need strategies that you're going to use forever because it's going to happen again to fix it. And I've seen it happen so many times myself as the mentor that, you know, as a teacher has planned something, okay, it's going to take the whole period and it takes 10 minutes. And then I sit there and I stare at them and go, okay, now what? Because like, you know, like Doug said, sometimes that's going to happen. So at least if someone else is there and you can troubleshoot with them in the moment or after the fact, and I, I do think it comes back to that relationship piece. You know, Doug, you, you mentioned earlier that you want someone that can go and feel confident. I also want someone that can go and feel confident to find someone, be it me or someone else in the building, that they can confide in and they can have those those conversations where they're going to feel vulnerable and they're going to ask questions like, um, you, you said something about Google Slides. What's, what's Google Slides again? I don't know that because i think there's something to be said for people who can be that vulnerable and, and take those risks and be able to have those conversations and put the bravado aside for the sake of the kids so you didn't draw a parabola you drew a parabolum i drew a, a parabola i don't even parabolum. yeah that right. joke worked in my head yeah, yeah well you know that's kind of ex an exemplar now. right yeah just yeah yeah, he's going to cut everything but the first three minutes or so. The rest <laughs> is just going to be a puppet dancing around like this. Um, no, it's you know, going to be an Edison robot. Come on, Sam. Oh, of course. I, oh, I didn't know this was one of those. Um, <laughs> you know, the, and that's I, I love that model that you're discussing, both Doug and Jen, about helping really teachers. It's not just about learning... I mean, early in my teaching, I really thought that there that that I thought classroom management was a real thing, and <laughs> I spent it's it's Santa Claus, right? It's the total Santa Claus of education because you believe these teachers have classroom management skills, and that's why their kids 
do the class things in there and not, you know, set the room on fire or whatever. And I'm working early in my teaching and I'm trying to learn classroom management skills while my kids are setting the room on fire. And eventually it was clear that it was about, you know, something other than trying to manage them, right? As soon as I gave up on the idea of managing the students and started like finding great stuff for them to dig into and talking to them about what they just read and, you know, all of these incredibly active things that didn't put me in some sort of weird artificial power position over them, things got a lot better. But there wasn't, I came into education through a grand back door of independent schools and while I got to work closely with people, it was a lot of like the first three years of my teaching were really like the principal would meet with me every once in a while and he'd be like, OK, here's what the parents are saying. And now well, what are we going to do about that? It was really fun. We have a question. I think you bring a different dynamic. Sorry, a, a different dynamic, too, with the idea of managing, because I think that that word has to come into the whole coaching and mentoring sort of a world as well right? right when we're coaching and when we're mentoring we're not managing because the minute someone feels like they're being managed they're buying out and they're not going to listen anymore and then that whole idea of the trusted advisor is gone yep I, I agree with that and and i'm i'm one of those people i have no problem admitting this of when somebody sits me down and like sam says here's the problem areas i don't want to say i get defensive but i get the oh my goodness am i is the world going to collapse on me so having a relationship where it's okay to talk about those things. And then, as Doug said, how do we fix this? How do we move forward with things? I do have one question that came in from the audience over here from Joe, uh, who's watching on TeacherCast.tv. Um, he says, where do you draw the line on poor out-of-the-box ideas at the expense of learning experiences? So as Doug... You know, I've got a canned answer to this, right? Uh, and oh, boy. And get a little ranty. So let's go somewhere else first and then throw it to me. Do, do, you, want, do you want me to... Can I, can, I, can I hit everybody else but you on this one? Because I, <laughs> I know what... you know. Because Doug was saying, no, bring it, me... Like, your I need to know... What I'm saying is I need you to know that I'm going to stand up on a soapbox at the end of this so I don't interrupt all of these nice people while they share their ideas. No problem. Let me grab the mute button. Now, Doug, if your student teacher comes to you with some random ideas, I know, as you just said, hey, run with this. It might work. It might not work. But if, but literally, if somebody comes up and you're like, that just doesn't work and here's why, what are some of those things that we can do to share? Um, and let's say, let's do this one quickly before Sam's soapbox gets, gets put on here. Um... I, if, if a student teacher came to me with an idea that seemed like this is totally not going to work the way that you have put it together, the first thing that I would do is odds are the entire idea is not bad. There is a piece of the idea that is bad. And then we can work together to take it apart because most things that don't work in the classroom are just put together wrong. And if you take it apart and you treat it like Legos and you rebuild it in a different way, then you can probably make it work. If it's a totally insane idea for some reason, then I would be very honest and say, this is not going to work. And like you said, this is why. These are the reasons this isn't going to work. Um, but there's normally at least a seed in there that you can take and go, but I like this. So let's use that. So if your student teacher comes to you and says, Mr. Robertson, I want to write a book on podcasting. Your idea is to then take that seat and figure out why it's not going to work. 
I would keep telling that person, why aren't you writing your book? You told me you were going to write your book for two years. Sam, what was your soapbox? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, wait, let's, let's hear more that. about this book. <laughs> Here's my soapbox. Go to the Josh and Jen answer first. Oh, sorry. Right? Thank that you. That was Doug telling you that was a bad idea to start. <laughs> no, no, he's different when he does. Hear what they have to say pretty good pop- does. Jen, what do you have to say, eh? Um, I <laughs> I think that when I'm in the case of a student teacher and probably in any mentor relationship that I have, whether I'm the mentor or the mentee, I think questioning is one of the best ways to do it. So often when I have an idea come in that I don't think is going to work for whatever the reason may be, I start posing a lot of questions. Well, well, have you considered it from this angle? And what about this? And even giving feedback, you know, like Doug, you mentioned um, writing notes. I always put it like the I love this idea and questions I have for you and areas I saw you struggling and what I would do with it. So I, I, I started as like the pros and cons list when I was like a little T-chart when I first started mentoring and I thought, no, that's not it. I want them to solve this. Like I want them to figure out because they're going to have, if I say, here's, here's my idea, then that's what they'll go to. Whereas I can offer my ideas and they can offer their own. So I definitely think I would do that. And often that comes in the form of sort of a case study. So I might say, okay, that's, that's great that you want to do that. But let's think about um, Christopher and Mohammed who sit in that back corner. When you introduce this, how do you think they're going to react to it? And then have them walk through it in that. So you really put them in the situation instead of in the ideal. I like that. I like Jen. She's super smart. That's, super smart. That, that's my mentee. Yeah. <laughs> I learned everything I know from Jeff Batbrae. <laughs> this is the first time I'm meeting him. <laughs> it just gets worse. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Superstar. Uh, Josh, follow that one. Why? That seems unfair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's either uh, that or be on the other end of my rant. <laughs> yeah, I think everything you said is good. I- you know, like like Doug was saying, I don't recall many instances in my current position that somebody has come to me with an idea that is just plain like, no, like, nope, like, just let's not do that. I think there are some that are definitely kind of devoid of inspiration, like, hey, we want to just kind of do this thing. Like, okay, I will help with that. I think we could do this and this, but, um, you know, it's their classroom. I think it's quite different than a student-teacher relationship where it's your class and you give them as much control as you want them to have over that classroom and as much ownership. Whereas in many situations, I being asked to come into their classroom for a short period of time. It's, I think it's harder for me to totally demand what that looks like and to, and to do a lot with that, you know, up to a point, depending on my relationship with that person. Um, But kind of circling back to Doug's point about usually there's that little nugget. Um, you know, I think that's, that's what we want to do with students because like kind of looking at math, cause I'm kind of in the math brain right now. Um, you know, we, we send these messages to students or have traditionally about them being good at math or bad at math. And a lot of times um, I see this typical students will have done everything correctly but they missed the step or they missed the direction. Then they and didn't do everything correctly, did they? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry. Continue, Josh. What I, what I will see is that the baby gets thrown with the bathwater, right? Like, oh, that's incorrect. You need to do that over. Instead of, oh, man, look at you did all these procedures right, but can you 
can you see where maybe you might have, have missed a step in here? And and let's let's figure out where that is. And then I think you'll find that this answer makes more sense. And and sending so those messages. It, that's and, the best way to have them solve math problems is when it's wrong, you say, explain to me why the how, how you did this. And they go, well, I did. Oh, and then they yeah. go away. And then you know they understand it. Like, it's, like, it's like finding bugs in coding. Right. Oh, right. it's not working. Where do you have to go back to? If we put that mindset on math, then that's that's a whole other show. Yeah. Sam, it is okay, uh, it so, is eight forty nine <laughs> and you have four minutes. Okay, I only have one visual. But, oh, he's got a um, that, so that, that looks like your keynote slide deck, Sam. It it's very similar. The same guy created them. So Is that a parabola? Are you making fun of me? No, I I am not, I am not making fun of you. It is a normal curve. So it, okay. it may, it may Which, be a parabola, but I don't think so because the sides actually fan out. And okay. it's that fanning out that I want to talk about. So education has a problem. Now, Joe, I want to start off by acknowledging this question about what if you have too many bad ideas in a row and the kids actually don't learn stuff is um, it's kind of a false flag question, right? I've heard it before. And it's not just about student teaching. Actually, student teaching is where this is least likely to happen, right? Sometimes, okay, you get a teacher who's having a lot of bad ideas, usually like, I should drink more before I go to work. And then eventually everything goes downhill. But <clears throat> when you're thinking about ideas like, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? Should I try it, right? I find it very useful to remember the normal curve and education's addiction to the normal curve. We spend a lot of time trying to hit this middle part it's an audio of this show, normal Sam. curve, it's an right? It's an audio show. Jeff, do you know what a normal curve is? Um, slower if than you a, don't know what a normal curve is, I want to talk to your math teachers, slower especially than a for Algebra 2, because they should have taught you something about normal curves and statistics. If they didn't, you should know that a normal curve is a bell curve. It's the one that looks kind of like... Uh, a ghost. Oh. Off of Sam, I, I'm the guy that's asked at the, the beginning of the year, what is algebra? And they said something that a mermaid wears. Uh, no. <laughs> Sam, go ahead. So what I'm saying is you don't have to kill yourself trying to get to this 50%. You can just easily try something that might not work for these middle kids, but it will work for kids on each end. Right? And you still get 50%. But really, you should ask yourself... If I can, if if we get a normal curve distribution, uh, essentially anytime we do one thing, this many people really get it right. Everybody else has different levels of struggle. Why would we do one thing in the classroom? But that's another one. So we'll just step off of that. Josh, how you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I'm just I'm fascinated by the by the normal curve, but um, I think. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep going back to this math thing because I'm so in this environment now and I, I don't want to forget all these ideas I've been reading about. Um, by the way, shameless plug, but Joe Bowler's Mathematical Mindsets book is incredible. And I think it's amazing. It's super yeah, applicable I, I beyond math, beyond math. Like the stuff in there is applied to everything. And and when you're talking about that normal curve and focusing on the middle, all I'm thinking about is open middle. And there's a good section in there on ways to design tasks that have a low ceiling and a high floor so that every student in the classroom has the option, has the ability to, to go at or above their ability level. But everybody has it because of how it's constructed. Um, and 
And I think going back to our discussion about student teachers, um, you know, wasn't that long ago that I was one. Uh, I, I I don't feel that my situation was a, was a good mentor-mentee relationship because I don't know many opportunities that I had to do that. I think most of the time I was following the curriculum that was already there and just teaching what was pretty much already planned. Like, yeah, I went through and I lesson planned, but I didn't really have a lot of agency. It was already like we're teaching. I was a business ed teacher, so a lot of stuff was technology. So I was teaching Microsoft PowerPoint this week. And so we had our book and we followed that. And that's what I thought teaching was when I was student teaching. Um, and and there was my second cooperating teacher. There's a little more of those opportunities for me to create stuff. But um, I think, yeah, that open middle, allowing you know people to have to hit at, at different points is important. I don't know if that made sense, but you put me on the spot to talk. That totally made sense. And Joe Bowler, I think, is a wonderful kind of spot to come to because anytime you have these mentor relationships, you really want to have some key texts you can relate to. So that mathematical mindset is clearly a key one for you. And she has like a TED Talk, I think, a couple good audio uh, files out there that I know our staff has listened to. Um, really, she is phenomenal. Also, if you're... She has, a, she has a massive online open course that's also amazing. Our, pretty much every leader in our district had to do what was... It was required for us right, to do. Right, that's through that's Stanford, awesome. right? That's right, yep. You know, I think we can wrap this up here. I have a, a great comment that I want to read by Christine. Here's here in the chat room. Over on TeacherCast.tv, she says the best teacher is the one that can respond to the needs of their kids versus thinking about what we need to teach them. Anybody can plan, but not everyone can figure out what to do when the lesson doesn't go well and the kid doesn't understand what to do. I love that definition. I think we might actually use that in the uh, in the blog post. So, guys, thank you so much out there for checking out the show. We are, of course, live here on TeacherCast.tv every single Tuesday. And... Uh, have some great topics coming up as we get into the school year. I want to say thank you to all of our guests. Uh, Jen, where can we find the great things that are happening up north? Um, well, the great things that I do up north can be found uh, probably on my Twitter at virtualgif, G-I-F-F, or uh, my blog, sometimes when I when I pop on that, and I'm hoping to do that a little bit more now that school goes back next week, is virtualgif.com. Excellent. Josh, where can we find you? You can follow me over at on the Twitters at Mr. G Fact of the Day. And uh, coming up soon is our school year. So my Twitter stuff should hopefully transfer more to education related things. Uh, there's probably a lot of brewers and uh, some political stuff that's going on right now. But it'll be it'll be more education related now that we're turning over into the school year. And you had a brewers fact of the day, the day today, didn't you, Josh? Yes, they're playing right now. There's your fact. Our, there you go. Uh, Doug, uh, congratulations on yet another fantastic uh, best-selling publication, I understand, after the uh, show airs, of course. Uh, Doug, where can we go to get the book and learn more about the great things that are happening in your uh, neighborhood? Uh, so, yeah, I just finished a book on student teaching. It's called Classroom of One. Um, the growing, the mentor teacher, student teacher relationship. It's in the middle of the last phase of being published. So it should be out on Amazon and, and everywhere else that you can get books. That's not an actual bookstore, um, in the next two weeks or so. And if you follow me on Twitter, 
uh, at the weird teacher, then I will not shut up about it once it comes out. So um, if you don't want to keep looking at Amazon, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, I also have a blog. It's he's the weird teacher dot blogspot dot com. And I host a weekly ed chat on Wednesdays at 7 Pacific time. Bless you. That is hashtag weird ed. So I'm all over the interwebs, and um, but the easiest place to find me is uh, Twitter at the Weird Teacher. And am I correct in understanding that you're also going to be hiding in the eggs and the milk at Whole Foods now because that's an Amazon affiliate, and you're trying to get your book out there in any Amazoning Amazonian way possible? I'm I'm putting my face on the milk cartons no. all <laughs> the whole night. It costs a little more, but I think it's going to be worth it. No, no, Doug, you don't want to put your face on milk cartons. That, that's, that's totally different. <laughs> Uh, but it's called Classroom of One, A Classroom of One. And if you liked this conversation, I go on and on and on and on about that for another 60,000 words. Very, very but it's cool. 60,000 words. And we are looking forward to and, and let this be an official invitation to come on the show again and just talk about the book. Thank you. Excellent. Sam, um, you've got some pretty interesting things going on as you start the school year. Uh, where can we find out the great things about you? And don't you have a, re- a blog post coming out on TeacherCast tonight? Uh, it. T- tonight, huh? I got to get that feature image done. Uh, tonight on TeacherCast, we'll be talking about micro bits. The blogcast is not titled Micro Bitch and Camaro, Camaro, which makes me sad. Um, what is a micro bit? A micro bit is a fascinating little small little minuscule <laughs> coding thing. It is a what? A microcomputer-ish thing. It has some conductive. Uh, pickups like a makey makey it has some con- uh, servo controlling capabilities and it can control leds and it can grant your every wish jeff that is pretty cool and our wishes for you to check out teacher casters of course several great ways to do that each and every single day you can find us on twitter at TeacherCast. leave us a voicemail over at teachercast.net slash voicemail Email us at feedback at teachercast.net and subscribe to this and all of our shows at teachercast.net slash iTunes and teachercast.net slash YouTube. Don't forget to check out the great book by Doug Robertson appearing soon and signing those every single day at the local Whole Foods. My name is Jeff Bradbury. On behalf of everybody here on the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network, keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.